Welcome to the Thrive Podcast, the place where you will get to know inspiring real-life women who dare to do the uncommon. They embrace who they are in their life's purpose, and most importantly, they thrive because of it. I am Olga Mueller, a personal success coach and speaker, passionate traveler, and unshakable believer that everyone deserves to live a life they love without ever having to feel guilty about it. Each week, I will introduce you to powerhouse women from all around the world to show you that you can create a fulfilling life you love, no matter the circumstances, personal history, or topic. Me and my fellow ladies are here to bust your fears, your feelings of guilt and shame, and boost your confidence to a whole new level where you are finally able to see that I can do it too. Get ready to dare, embrace, and thrive unapologetically with us. Let's do this. So welcome to a new episode of the Thrive Podcast. Today I have a super strong woman with me. Her name is Beck Cameron. She's from Australia and she's a vulnerability coach who works with heart-centered, highly sensitive, highly intelligent and one in a million kind of women to tap their source and find the softest, fiercest strength they've never experienced before. She has a background in social work, management, group fitness, personal training, martial arts and self-defense. Her passion about turning your vulnerability into your biggest strength is so on fire because she realized after decades and a traumatic life-changing experience that vulnerability is and has never been her weakness but rather her biggest superpower and i'm so happy to have you here with us today welcome back to the thrive podcast how are you thank you oh thank you so much for having me it's it's so bizarre to hear those i've never heard someone read my bio to me i've seen it written down before but hearing it is definitely something different and how do you feel about it I feel quite proud of myself, actually. And you should be because, I mean, Thank just from, from the little things that I really know, you know, about your story, um, I think it's fair to say that you've been through uh, quite enough of rough <laughs> experiences in your life. And, you know, just seeing what, you know, you turn those experiences into now um, mm. is just like, you know, something that you definitely should be proud of and even more. So, Thank you. Yeah, just um, you know, tell us a little bit about yourself and your backstory. Like, where did this topic of you know vulnerability emerge, and you know, um, why has it actually become bec become so present in your life? Mm. So, I, for me, I always felt very different to everyone else when I was growing up. I felt very much on the outer. I. I had friends. I was never, I was never ostracized. I was never really out of it in terms of, you know, not being the cool kid or anything like that. I had a great social group. I had a great um, number of different communities that I was a part of, but I still always felt a little bit different. And it wasn't until a couple of years ago when I started working with one of my mentors, mm -hmm. Haley Carr, that she explained this concept of the highly sensitive person. Mm -hmm. And another girlfriend of mine who was a psychiatric nurse started talking to me about the concept of being an empath and suddenly going in and doing all this research about highly sensitive and uh, empath and the kinds of people who um, perhaps perceive the world just a little bit uh, different mm -hmm. to other people and there's lots of different schools of thought some people make it quite a spiritual thing and other people make it more of a psychological um, psychology more linked to um, the chemicals and your brain development mm -hmm. but either school of thought really what it comes down to is just having an incredible level of perception and awareness and I used to be able to perceive a lot and I never really understood why I wasn't received the same way so people weren't able to perceive or understand me as well as I was able to understand them and over a very long very long very slow process I started to understand it and really the only way I could find my way through it was to start expressing myself really clearly and saying how I felt. And that's where I, I started to learn that the more vulnerable I was, the easier everything became. Mm -hmm. And it's always a little bit scary at the start, but what I try to teach my clients is to rewire that fear mm -hmm. and tell yourself that it is excitement and it's the excitement that you know comes before you're about to do something really great. Mm. And so... Ooh. 
what like how let's say how has this let's say being a vulnerable person or maybe a sensitive person in that sense mm. how has it been you know uh, a weakness in your life like what were some things mm. that you thought you know I, like yeah I, f I can feel those things and I'm being maybe very empathetic but like you know it doesn't give me anything back I'm only experiencing like this I don't know stupid situations mm, mm. it definitely it felt like it was a weakness in the sense that um you know as a teenager I would go into depression quite easily and I remember being triggered by something that happened in the news and it was to do with um, something happening within mm. the uh, Iraq war and the conflict mm. in the early 2000s and it was just this one random story and I went into a depression for like six months after hearing that story. So how would that um, actually show? Like uh, what would just, that look I, like? I just, it, it, it was like my whole entire soul felt like it was caving in on itself um, and I couldn't, I felt so alone because I couldn't understand why everyone else wasn't falling to pieces. Mm -hmm. um, and then other stories and stories of tragedy or stories in the news where, you know, there might have been a highly vulnerable group of people that were you know, hurt or, um, you know, the 9-11 terror attacks mm. and all that, those first experiences my generation had of what we now just know as terrorism. Um, I, I really struggled because no one else seemed to be as affected as I was. And mm. it wasn't that. It was that... I didn't know how to communicate how I was feeling and therefore I couldn't connect with anyone else who was probably going through the same thing. And That's in the end, that's how we get through is mm. opening up, sharing our stories and connecting with people because we all have people out there who are just like us. And yeah. once you find them and you realize, oh, <laughs> I'm not by myself. So I'm on my own. Yeah. Yeah. And so, I mean, you, you say like that was happening to you when you were even a teenager I mean, mm. how did you cope with those situations when you say, like, you know, you saw something on the news and then you would be, like, depressed for a couple mm. of months? Like, you know, how did you actually self-help yourself as a teenager? Mm. I imagine it to be, like, so difficult. Did mm. you have, like, a, yeah. a, a support system from your parents or how did they even, you know, uh, react to those kind of mm. um, states? Well, when it first started, I had absolutely no way to deal with it. I was... I was a teenager who self-harmed. I was a teenager who had problems with my food. I tried so much because I couldn't, I couldn't control how I felt mm -hmm. and I couldn't control the ways in which the outward world impacted me. Mm -hmm. So it's like I tried to control everything else. So I had a lot of um, behaviors like that and my poor parents didn't really know what to do. But I definitely, I was, I was speaking about this the other day in terms of my martial arts one of the reasons I believe martial arts to be so fantastic when you find a really good school with a really supportive community, mm -hmm. it didn't matter whether I was seven or 17, every single day when I walked into that dojo, they treated me exactly the same. And even when I was going through this period of like, I felt there was such an internal chaos, mm -hmm. I would get in there and I would be externalizing and projecting and lashing out and being incredibly all over the place and my teachers would just treat me the same way as they had every single day and it was like it just pulled everything back into focus mm. um you know I, I I used to think as a teenager that they're ignoring my pain and they weren't they were just providing me with an incredibly stable um community to be in to kind of recenter and then I would go off into the world and I always kind of scoff whenever students have told me oh, I, I need to stop training because I've got my high school exams or whatever mm -hmm. and I just think you, you need it so much more right now yeah because that kind of environment and anyone who does any kind of exercise or has their niche that they love mm -hmm. knows that it's such a centering collecting experience it just pulls everything back into focus and you feel so much better afterwards mm. how old mm. were you when you started out with martial arts uh so six or seven Wow. Yeah, it was it, was it your your parents who brought you there or did you somehow <laughs> decide yourself how did you get to that I love this story because this story just absolutely when I when I reflect on this I think how could I have ever ended up anywhere other than where I am right now mm -hmm. so when I was six or seven we went to a uh, holiday program that my dojo ran 
And we turned up and there was a girl there called Alexia Hunter who I just thought was like my version, a very personal version of like Xena, Xena <laughs> Warrior Princess. She yeah. was so incredible. And I came home from that lesson and I said to her, my mom, there's this girl there and she gets to tell all the boys what to do. <laughs> I need to go back to karate and I need to get to that position because I, I thought that was just the most incredible thing that there was a girl there and she could decide if they did push-ups and she could tell them what to do and they all had to say yes and say to her and I don't think I'd ever seen anything like that before in real life. I just mm. And I thought she was magical. How how were actually, you know, maybe the women that, I mean, you grew up with, I don't know, like your mom, maybe mm. aunts, friends, I don't know. Mm. Like what was the, the, the image that you got, you know, projected or observing when you were growing mm. up? I definitely feel like I got a really incredible mixed bag. Like martial arts, I got to see women be physically strong. One of my instructors was a world champion and, You know, we had, I would go into this environment where there were just pictures of her all over the walls with the huge, huge trophies. And, mm. you know, those trophies are like as tall as you are. And I, I had that as a role model. But then, you know, my family are full of um, writers and teachers and very much political um, type personalities. And it's just such, it's such a wonderful environment because. I love things like we go to Christmas or we go to in, uh, events and things and we sit down and you will not see the time pass because we're just debating and having these conversations about, you know, life, love, the huge mm -hmm. topics that go on in the world. So I feel like I was very privileged because I, I, I got to see what strong women looked like. Mm -hmm. um, and I never once grew up thinking to myself that women were supposed to be a certain thing mm -hmm. it was actually it was more so as I got into my teenage years and left home and I kind of went through my own process of learning who I was I mean being out in the world I think broke me more than I wanted it to but then I feel like very much in the last six to eight months I've been coming back to who I was as a 14 year old girl and mm. that is like that is my true my true nature And what, what did that, um, let's say, process of self-discovery look like for you? So you left uh -huh. home or, or what happened there? So I moved out. I was such an independent teenager. I used to laugh at my friends when they said, I've got to ask my parents if I can do this. And I just used to think, oh, I just tell my parents, <laughs> why do you have to ask? <laughs> um, I mean, we certainly had, we had good boundaries at home, but... I just used to think, what? You have to ask for permission? Um, so I was very young for my year and I finished school when I was 17. Okay. And I moved to Sydney. So I lived in Sydney. So in Australia, you can't drink until you're 18. Mm -hmm. So I was out of home for six months before I could even legally go out with mm -hmm. the friends that I was hanging out with, which was oh, a learning in itself, <laughs> what it feels like to like feel like you've broken out. But then there's still the rules in place. Yeah. Um, and I did a couple of years at the University of Sydney and then decided to come down and study social work at the university oh. or at Monash University in Melbourne. Mm -hmm. And yeah, and then uh, tens of different jobs and a huge process of kind of finding my way back to my martial arts and finding my way back to wanting to be physical again after. Mm -hmm. thinking that I wanted a desk job and I wanted a nine to five and I wanted to work Monday to Friday. Um, but yeah, like I said before, that 14 year old girl who I know I am deep down is a rager and she doesn't like to do things how everyone else do, does them. And she wants to have blue hair eventually and <laughs> she protests and she rallies and she gets into really fiery arguments with people. So that is, that has been quite a process. Mm, very nice but I mean I feel I feel like it I mean it, in my opinion this is like the most important um, thing that somebody you know can do for themselves if they mm. really want to live like a fulfilling life and I also feel that very few people are actually giving themselves like the time mm. to really you know get to know yourself to go on this process of self-discovery because I feel mm. like We think, let's say, at now, for me, 30, 32 years, uh, I see people, you know, who think they know who they are. But if you would do some work with them, 
it's really not who they are it's just like this mm. this personality that they have adapted right yeah and like you say usually it's like this person in your case 14 years old in my case maybe um, i don't know like six years old whoever however old but this is like this essence that you know you mm. are not the person that you have adapted so it's so nice that you have taken you know um the time to actually you know yeah find back to yourself yeah absolutely it's sad when you see people resist that because it's so fantastic yeah maybe it's not even resistance but you know just ignorance because you just don't know mm. better right mm. Mm. and so um what have actually been like some situations you know that maybe helped you to uh you know break this kind of ignorance because when you know mm. you you can't be aware of something that you don't know about yeah so what absolutely. were maybe some some moments throughout that period that really really were like cracking you know cracking the surface to like uh, say mm. hey back look this is not really you yeah Yeah, uh well I mean <clears throat> the the most the most world shattering life changing perspective shifting experience mm -hmm. that I had was when I was I was sexually assaulted just over two years ago now mm -hmm. and that was uh someone who was a mentor and a friend and I I could never explain to you Like everyone talks about, you know, with sexual assault, there is shame mm -hmm. and there is this and that. And I feel like there was almost an added layer there of being a martial artist for 20 years mm. at that point, maybe longer, um, knowing intimately the ways in which I can hurt someone mm -hmm. if I had to, teaching that, empowering women through that, empowering, um, you know, my younger students living all of that and then to not be able to do anything about that having happened to me it was I just I spent so long after that incident having a complete crisis of who I was because mm. you know how can I I wanted so much to be that person that leader that person that spoke about women's safety and I'm so incredibly passionate about feminism and all these kinds of things and then to to go out there and be teaching women, like, you know, if someone grabs you, you do this. And if they, mm -hmm. you know, hold you here, you can do this. Um, but to not have been able to defend myself was, I, I think I didn't have any idea who I could be after that. Um, and it's really been a incredibly transformative process. And, you know, people, I think people don't really believe me when I say, I'm, I wouldn't say I'm glad it happened. You're never mm -hmm. glad when something life-shattering happens. But I was always the outspoken feminist and I was always the person at the rallies and signing the petitions and I was really interested in these issues. But I'd never been provided the opportunity in which to really go big. You know, I was happy to be part of the crowd. I was happy to be one voice in, you know, 10,000. Mm. But now... I, you know, if I am the only person standing right out there at the front, I literally don't give a shit because I am, it's like, it's like it's turned my fire up 10,000%. Mm. I never could have imagined to have this drive. I never could have imagined to have this passion. I never could have imagined to have this um, perspective. And what it taught me was everything I was teaching was superficial. Mm. So I was teaching women how to punch, how to kick and A great metaphor for that is, you know, when you are hitting a bag mm -hmm. or if you're fighting, you need to imagine that you're going through. So you don't just simply hit the thing. You imagine, you know, I teach with kicks, slice through the bag, you know, punch straight through the bag. And so what I feel like I was doing before was just that surface level, just hitting, whereas now my perspective is I want to go straight through. I want to obliterate. I can't just teach women how to punch something, how to not break their head, how to make a fist. Mm. I need to teach them how to stand up for themselves, how to empower change, how to teach their daughters, you know, what kind of language they can um, expect from the people around them. And if someone says something to you that you don't like, then you have the power to stand up and change what is happening. 
and I still teach self-defense because I still think it's important Mm -hmm. to be realistic, but that is, that is the tip of the iceberg now. Now Mm. I see everything else. And what do you think has been the most, let's say, shattering part of it? So like you say, you've been in martial arts for so long. Has Mm. it been like even disappointment in yourself or what was that feeling that, you know, was most, you know, nagging? I think that hurting, I think the hardest part was the empath side of things, the highly sensitive side of things in that, um, I can see why it happened and it's not a popular perspective because we, as society, we like to make these, situations completely black and white and surface level they are completely black and white I hold this person responsible for what happened I don't excuse what happened I will never like people talk a lot about forgiveness I'm definitely not at a point where I consider forgiveness Mm -hmm. something that I'm capable of but I see why it happened I see all of the circumstance around it I see what was going on for that person in his life and I it's really hard because it's really hard to hold someone accountable when you can see why it happened. But when I worked in child protection, mm-hmm. when I was a social worker, it it was the same thing. It broke my heart. You'd see a, a parent who had hit or been violent towards their children and then you have to persecute that parent and hold them responsible, which is absolutely necessary. But then you listen to their story and you can just see. You mm-hmm. can see the wider picture and you can see why it happened and it's such a tragedy Because, you know, often the retaliation of those parents was, well, where Mm. were you when I was a kid when my dad was doing this to me? So I think, you know, the person that assaulted me, I I really have struggled around this concept because he was a mentor and a friend and I can I can see everything around that situation and I can see why it happened. I don't forgive it and I don't excuse it and it was completely reprehensible, but the hardest, most heartbreaking thing was just being able to step back from the pain and see that person as a human and why they made those decisions. And that has been, I I can't even, there's not even words for it. Mm. Mm. And I just want to mention real quick that I'm so, you know, grateful that you're willing to talk about it so openly because I feel like, I mean, I, I have no no statistics, no numbers, no nothing, but I feel like this mm-hmm. is a, a topic that happens to way more uh, women and also children, you know, people out there in general in the world, but it is not a topic that, you know, people, you know, like to talk about because it requires mm-hmm. you to know, to go to that dark place where you have been to yeah. basically, I th- yeah, and I feel like um, probably many people feel like ashamed of it because... Ooh. In in probably most of the cases, maybe you 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 were able to see the signs, right? Looking mm-hmm. back on it, mm-hmm. but um, and and you probably didn't do anything that you know would have provoked it, you know, proactively yeah. from your side. Mm-hmm. So, um, I just want to say thank you for you know allowing us in because I hope that it will help so many others who maybe mm-hmm. have experienced something similar to you know deal with it better. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, how long have, or or, yeah, how long have you been like in a, in a, yeah, like in this crisis state after that? Like, how did you deal with it? Mm. So I, I really only feel that I, I made any significant steps towards recovery Mm -hmm. once I told people, which is just you never you can never explain or understand how hard it is until you have to do it mm-hmm. and it's such a it's such a crazy thing for me to think about in terms of the work I used to do as a social worker and I used mm-hmm. to stand next to these women and be like you need to report you need to do this you need mm-hmm. to leave you need and I was so passionate about it and I would get so upset because I they wouldn't do it and then being on the inside now and being like oh right I understand the complete and total mindfuck of mm-hmm knowing what you need to do it's almost like being a social worker made it twice as hard because I knew what I needed to do and I knew all the things and all the steps and all the services and I knew 
you know, where I should go and what I should do, but then actually doing it was just a total different thing. But once I opened up to the people who I loved, and I think the biggest thing was telling my parents. Mm -hmm. Once I told my parents that then I could speak about it publicly because I had been thinking about it and I wanted to speak about it publicly because I know I take strength from other people's stories. But I, I say I told my parents. I sat there quietly and then eventually poked my husband and said, you do it, and then he did it instead because <laughs> I just couldn't get the words out. But once that was – I mean, secrets weigh, secrets weigh so much mm. and you always – once you let that out, once you – and nothing is ever as bad as you think it's going to be. No one ever reacts or overreacts in the ways in which you're expecting. Um, most of the time everyone's quite compassionate and loving and if they love you and if they respond – in a way that you don't expect either, you know, maybe that's not the person for you to tell or um, it can act as a good filter because if that person is mm. judgmental or does um, persecute you for what you've experienced, then that's not a person that should necessarily be in your life. And would you be willing to let us in a little bit about, you know, what has actually kept you from from doing the, let's say, the logical steps that you did know yeah. you should do to, you know, speak about it? You know, what kept mm. you, what, yeah, or uh. what kept you from doing it, actually? <laughs> shame, 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 all shame. Shame about uh, maybe I let this happen. Shame about maybe it was my fault. Shame about maybe no one will believe me. And if no one believes me, the shame of, like, What if people think I'm making this up? I know that I am someone of high integrity. To think that someone could think that I would make this up pierces me through my soul. Mm. I couldn't handle it. Um, shame around being one of the statistics. Shame around um, always being known as or seen as that person that that thing mm. happened to. So what I realized I had to do, the only way I could get through, the only way I could sleep at night was to completely own it completely own it you can't shame someone when they own their story you can't shame someone when they're completely shame free when they're not upset about what they've done or mm -hmm. they can own what they've done and I take it really seriously in terms of um you know I am outspoken and I am I do like to say what I think and if someone corrects me and says I'm wrong or if down the track I turn around and say oh well, that idea I had you know I don't agree with that now I I'm not ashamed of that. We can make mistakes and we can say the wrong thing and you, you can hold me accountable and I'll apologize for it. Mm -hmm. So if I listened to a podcast recently of Jamila, Jamila and she talked about murdering her shame and the way she spoke about it, she's so incredibly intelligent and well-spoken and it was such a beautiful discussion around no one can control me now mm. because I own everything. If you point out my flaw, I'll go, yeah, cool, yeah, I've got that. Next. Mm. Yeah. And what helped you get to that point of, you know, being able to take that ownership? I think that hitting rock bottom and realizing, because there was, there were points where I thought about ending my life and mm -hmm. there were points where it got really hard and really dark and I really couldn't see a way out. But I think, you know, growing up, I don't know if it was the martial arts, I don't know if it was you know, certain aspects of, um, you know, the way I was raised or if it was just to do with my particular personality. But it got to the point where I was like, this is the darkest you've ever been mm -hmm. and you have a chance to do something different and it's not going to be easy, but it's like a sink or swim. You give up completely or you, you, you know, you crawl your way out of a hole and you'd mm -hmm. crawl part of the way and then you fall and then you crawl again and you might fall further and you crawl again. But realizing that like there is no other option there mm. is no other way I refuse to have this be the thing that defeated me or killed me or drove me insane you know I you you can't you can't let that person that situation that circumstance whatever it is mm -hmm. you can't let it kill you because if you do then you've let it kill you and I couldn't live with that And um, it's interesting for me that, you know, you say th there was no other option. Um, mm. 
And sometimes uh, when I hear about, you know, stories that, you know, somebody actually then took their life, you know, mm. I'm thinking it's sometimes, you know, the things that we think we think is so obvious, so self-evident. Mm. Right. But then when you think about the people who saw no other option and, mm. you know, then just ended, um, you know, I'm I'm curious, you know, like what helped you maintain or get the certain mm. awareness to not only I, think that you know it only gets worse and worse and worse and they don't see any positive mm. you know way or mm. light mm. i think i was this is a i feel like i have to pick my words with grace around the subject mm -hmm. because i know that suicide and conversations around suicide are incredibly triggering for people and I, I want to speak my mind but also be conscious of that because so for, for us and our family, my husband's little sister passed mm -hmm. away, she committed suicide and I think mm -hmm. having had that experience as much as I got close to the edge, mm -hmm. you know, I picked the tree that I was mm -hmm. going to run my car into um, and you know, I would pick a day each week and then that day would pass and I'd go oh I can't do it, I have to wait till the next Thursday um but having had that experience and seeing that loss and watching his family completely fall to pieces in front of me and that was possibly the most heartbreaking experience of my entire life um I think I just couldn't live knowing that I had done that mm. and having witnessed that um so close It really, I think that was possibly, you know, I like to think, her name was Sophie, I like to think that Sophie was the thing that held me back. Mm -hmm. And um, on those days that got really, really, really dark and dismal and depressing, um, I just kept thinking about, the, like that was seven, eight years ago now mm -hmm. and we're still healing. So to think that I could put them through that simply because I wasn't coping, I don't like to say that yeah. suicide is selfish because I understand that it comes from a place of such um, overwhelming pain where you you can't see anything else, you can't feel anything else, all you hear is this idea in your head that you could make it stop. So I don't want to mm. um, be reductive and say that it is selfish, but um, I just couldn't bear to think that while still healing from losing Sophie yeah. that they would have to go through that again. Mm. And uh, I very like I love this so much that you shared this part of the story because mm. really I want everybody listening to know that, you know, they are worthy. They are oh. loved. You know, they matter. You matter. You are loved. You are worthy. You are here for mm. a reason. And even if it feels like maybe, you know, you, you feel the complete opposite that nobody cares, nobody mm. gives a shit, that you're all there by yourself. You mm. are not. And um, because th this is like, you know, this is the power of the mind, really. Like to, you know, to pick the story and go all the way mm. in. And it, the, the thing is that I want people to realize listening is that your mind does not, you know, differentiate be between the truth mm. and the reality, Mm. It, it, you, your mind can follow a completely made up story about people you know not caring about you but the mm. reality is very different and I feel mm. like this comes out so beautifully in, in the experience that you've just shared and um, mm. also like you mentioned earlier um, all, all the things all the all the fears that go through your mind what if people will you know not believe me or judge me or yeah. all this and this and this and when you actually you know let's say come out and really share your story and you actually see you know how many people are there ah. for you how many people are impacted by your experience mm. etc et you know Th this is like um i think the most powerful thing to realize that whatever is going on in your mind is not true and that the mm. world out there is is actually like more than willing to give you the or provide you with the complete opposite mm. Mm. Yeah, absolutely. The story, the stories you create in your head, you create and you can change them. And um, the way I share now, it it 
you know, I told people, I told my parents, I told my partner, I told some of my friends, but it really wasn't until I told a friend of mine who was a client at the time and she turned around to me and gosh, she is just, she is a woman on fire. So I take what she says so seriously. And she said, is the discomfort that you're avoiding Mm -hmm. more important than the change that you could create with your story? Mm. And I remember when I heard that and I was like, oh, well, now I can't not share it because, <laughs> of course, my discomfort is not more important. How I can't, I can't say that. And every time I looked, felt like holding back. Every time I feel like not coming out with something or or shortening my story or limiting myself, I just think to myself: Is the discomfort of doing this thing more important than the change you want to create? And it's like, no, of course not. I want women in Australia to be able to walk around, want women throughout the whole entire world to be able to walk around at night and not be afraid. I want mm. social change. I want equal pay for equal work. I want, you know, to empower women to feel like they can ask for more. Mm-hmm. So that is not more important than the slight discomfort I feel in like pressing send on an Instagram post. It's just irrelevant now. And so do you maybe have some advice for anybody who is listening and maybe has had any you know similar experience like Mm. what is some advice that you can give to other people who have been victims of sexual abuse Mm. or violence or anything like that the first thing to understand is that regardless of the circumstance it's not your fault and I think I have said that so many times in my career but Mm -hmm. believing it as a victim or a survivor or however you want to identify is such a different thing you know there's often so many mitigating circumstances and there's a great video if you look up consent uh, some, there's, a, there's a video about consent, likening it to a cup of tea. And you need to look up that video if you want to mm. understand or reduce your shame around consent. But I think the important thing to remember in coming out with your story is that we're multi-layered beings. Mm-hmm. A lot of people that you tell, one, don't have the capacity to hold emotional discomfort. Mm-hmm. Two, have had their own experiences. So you don't know when you're telling someone what you're possibly triggering within them. And three, a lot of people don't want to believe that something like that could have happened to someone they love. Mm. And I think it's so hard because often you tell people, and I found this, I was telling people who I loved and cared about and who had expressed a lot of love and care for me, mm-hmm. and they couldn't, they couldn't handle it. They couldn't handle it. They were in denial. They don't believe me. They shut down. They withdrew. Mm-hmm. And I thought that meant stop telling your story, but mm-hmm. it doesn't, and it never does. It just means you need to find someone else. And I'm a really big advocate for if you need help and you ask someone and they don't help you the way you need it, go and ask someone else. Mm-hmm. If that doesn't work, ask someone else. It's a process. It's it, it's not a reflection of you as how they react or respond. It's nothing on you. It's entirely on them. And you need to give them the credit and the benefit of the doubt to think that, okay, well, you know, my story was quite hectic or strong or mm. a lot for you to take in. Um, I, I understand that that's really challenging for you. So, I, I you know, we can leave this and I'm going to go talk to someone else. Mm. I love that. Mm. And so you see on on your um on your website or on your facebook site you actually mentioned that um you know there was this one moment that has really been changing this whole story around for you when you talk to your mentor friend and coach and she explained to you about this uh, concept of the highly sensitive person mm. which you also mentioned in the beginning mm. Um, could you explain to us a little bit, you know, what is this concept all about mm. and why has this been so impactful for you? Mm. Basically, it helped me understand why I respond differently to a lot of people and why that is nothing to be ashamed of or worried about. So if you look into empath or highly sensitive people, Basically, the understanding around it is this idea that there is a small percentage of the population who, you know, millennia ago, Mm -hmm. they were the kinds of people who were so incredibly uh, perceptive and intuitive. They knew when something was going to go wrong. They had a heightened intuition around relationships. They were better at learning who to trust. They knew when 
you know, if you want to go down the spirituality, like psychic route, then you when you know, the weather was going to turn bad and we mm. need to go here instead of here. And it was that kind of, um, it was the small percentage of the population, which when you read into this stuff talks about they're the people that have, have helped keep society going, help mm. keep humanity going because they had this heightened level of perception. Um, the problem is if it is such a small percentage of the world, it means that the systems in place, the structures, the teaching, the educational systems, um, the systems around how we work, they're not designed for the highly sensitive person. You know, they're designed for the amazing type A, my best friend. She's an empath, but she's also a type A, incredible uh, process-driven type person. <laughs> and she thrives with systems and processes and all that kind of thing. And you know, we went out for dinner last night and she said, where are we going? And I said, oh, it's this place. She said, oh, okay, are they open? I said, I don't know. She said, oh, okay, did you look it up? No. But you told everyone to meet us there? Yeah. <laughs> She's pulling her hair out. So the the highly sensitive person is all about, you know, how something make th- makes them feel. Mm. And for a very long time I thought that feeling so much was an incredible burden because it meant, you know, I, I needed – respite after um you know big conversations or I needed a lot of time to acclimatize after um you know someone had been quite emotional and I struggled not to take other people's emotions onto myself which then going and working in child protection was just Mm. terrible because I just was party to trauma after trauma after trauma and um learning about this concept taught me the ways in which I can structure my own life so the, the things that I needed to do to self-protect, um, even something as small as, you know, having um, buffer time or blackout time in my calendar of like mm-hmm. I know, you know, as a coach as well, this conversation is going to be a huge conversation. I need to make sure I don't book something straight after that because I'm not going to be ready mm-hmm. um, and I'm not going to be able to connect. Um, but it's really interesting because I feel like for martial arts it gave me a bit of an edge and my coach, Hayley Carr, hearing her talk about this because she was also a martial artist everything just went ding 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 in my head because it was you know this is what made me better better at martial arts my sensitivity to situations my understanding of my opponents um you know it's like you see things almost a fraction of a second before they happen and Mm -hmm. I described it to a friend just yesterday like uh there's two conversations going on whenever you sit down with a friend uh, you know a family member whoever if you sit down to have a really important conversation, there's two conversations. There's what they're saying mm. and then there's what I perceive mm-hmm. and what I said to my friend yesterday because he's done a lot of personal work and a lot of personal growth. And I just stopped him and I was like, there's only one conversation now for you because you are saying exactly and talking exactly from who you are. But mm. being party to those two conversations is exhausting. Yeah. I because imagine. I can't – I don't turn it off at all, ever. <laughs> that's my next thing to learn how to shut things out a little bit yeah Mm. and you know i um i like you know uh, yeah you like you say um you you felt like it is such a burden and i feel like Mm. um to since women are i mean it's just a fact are a little bit more emotional just because our brain is, you know, structured differently, <laughs> it's just a fact yeah. than the Ooh. one of of men. Um, it's always like, you know, you you need to control your emotions. Like, really, if you want to succeed in a in a corporate in a classical corporate world Ooh. or you know, Ooh. whatever institution, um, it's very it's very much of a um, male energy there in that meaning like yeah. you know action structure focus um etc cetera, etc cetera. and so emotions are not very let's say welcomed <laughs> there mm-hmm. and so then mm-hmm. you always are facing kind of this you know uh, maybe challenge of you know how much emotions do you let in how much emotions you know uh, do you turn off uh, mm-hmm. in a certain way or how do you control them so that you are not perceived as this um, very mm-hmm. emotional person who can't, who's who seems like is not able to, you know, take uh, well-thought decisions, which, you know, doesn't nece- mm. necessarily have anything to do with each other, but this is like mm. the response that you get. So mm. you say like you're still working on, you know, uh, 
on uh, learning how to, how to control that. But mm. maybe do you have anything that you know has helped you so far get it, get a better, you know, grasp on it or better control mm. around it? Mm. So I I feel like making the decision to not care what anyone else thinks mm -hmm. is where that has to be led from mm -hmm. because in the end we dull ourselves down or we pull back or we, you know, we try to quieten things because we're afraid of being perceived in a certain way. And, you know, I'm, I'm a big advocate for learning to understand your emotions because, you know, we definitely don't want to be going out there and, being loud and crazy and out being loud, crazy and out there is fine. Mm -hmm. But when you're being loud, crazy and out there from a place of like projecting your hurt or, um, you know, letting your ego get the better of you or persecuting someone because you feel triggered actually got nothing to do with them. And it's entirely to do with you. I don't mean being loud and crazy and out there in that way, but I definitely believe in once you have a handle on who you are, mm -hmm. what your values are, what you believe and you know that your integrity is intact and that you're coming from a place of complete self-expression, then you should be able to communicate whatever you want, however you want. Mm. Um, and if someone says to you that you're too emotional, mm -hmm. I'll probably just tell them to fuck off. <laughs> because, because too many of us feel shame around, you know, being – I used to worry so much about being too emotional. Yeah. And I would – it would – it would almost stifle it would stifle what I was trying to say and then I would look even worse because I would be getting emotional, but mm -hmm. then I wouldn't be able to articulate anything mm -hmm. because I was so worried about being able to articulate it properly. Mm -hmm. Whereas if I just said what I thought, then I would have come across as the intelligent, well-spoken person that I am and not just cried and being like, ah, ah, ah. Yeah. you know, we just need to let it out. And we're all so like held held in repressed yeah you know frightened of the way we're being perceived and there's a great book before agreements by don miguel ruiz um called the four agreements and one of them the only one i actually ever remember is um what anyone says is got nothing to do with you mm. it's just entirely to do with them we're all living in our own little realities so just be you <laughs> Yeah. And so what what mm. do you think has has changed, you know, from the meaning that let's say sensitivity or vulnerability had to mm. you before uh, before that incident and before that, you know, change and what does it mean mm. to you now? Mm. So, I think I mean, I feel like it's part and parcel with getting older. I turn 30 next Saturday. Yeah. I've been doing a lot of reflecting. <laughs> <laughs> But um I think, you know, it's one of those things that as much as you can give advice and you can talk about it, um, you know, so much of it has to be lived mm -hmm. and experiential. But being a burden was very much connected to shame, which was very much connected to not expressing myself in a way where I could connect with other people and understand that it was normal. Whereas the learning came from connecting having these conversations around, oh, actually, this is a thing. This mm -hmm. has a name. You know, this is not a disorder. This mm. is actually an incredible skill. Um, but then being vulnerable enough to talk about it and therefore connect with other people made me realize, oh, wow, like, this is great. I can have conversations with someone else and be like, oh, my God, did you see that stuff on the news? And did that kill you? Oh, that killed me. Oh, I feel totally normal having this conversation. I don't feel like an idiot when, mm. you know, an ad comes on and it's particularly like you know, ads are designed to make you feel so that yeah. you buy, but an ad comes on and I start crying because I'm like, oh, just hit me, you know. But then having the emotional awareness to not need to buy the thing. Yeah. Just, um, just that, <laughs> that you That would be that something way. if you would have to, uh, like, have the compulsion to, oh, no, I have to buy everything that makes me, you know, yeah. stir up emotionally. Yeah. Ending up yeah, totally broke. It, it's, <laughs> it's the emotional. It's the emotional awareness to just feel something mm. and uh, have that confidence to have a little bit of self inquiry and go, okay, well, what is this? Mm. Why do I feel this? How can I feel better? Who can I speak to? What should I do instead of just having the feeling and just being <gasps> oh and overwhelmed? 
Yeah, and I love the, the, the that you mentioned. You know, it's not a disorder, and I feel there's yeah. uh, I don't know so many labels that now mm. I, don't, I don't know if I want to say society, but you know, are being being put on onto people. Like I don't know, everybody is ADHD, and everybody is bipolar, mm. and this and this and this mm. and that, and depressed, and um, like you say, it's you know even being very sensitive. You know, try to see you know what is actually great about it. What is great mm. about you having Absolutely. this? Absolutely. And not always Absolutely. just like, because we always just label it as something, let's say, negative, problematic, whatever, mm. because it might, you know, not fit with the, uh, I don't know, um, regulated perception. Yeah, paradigm mm. of, of society. But it doesn't, it doesn't mean anything. It, it just mm. means that maybe a lot of people don't have it or maybe, you know, many people are not familiar with it, whatever it means. But mm. always look for, you know, the positive thing about it and what it can mm. give you. Absolutely. And so how, um, you know, how has this whole experience and um, uh, awareness about this whole topic affected actually your professional path? Because... So, yeah, that it's like when you actually like learn who you are and suddenly everything just appears. Mm -hmm. <laughs> when you learn who you are, you accept it. And you you don't uh, run from it anymore. So for so long, square hole, mm -hmm. square hole, round peg, me trying to be a social worker, mm -hmm. me trying to fit into a system. I you know I wanted to help people. That's why I did social work, and I wanted to be, you know, someone who operated from a place of support and um, service. And for so long, I, I tried so hard to change to fit that mold mm. and I just got like emotionally sick I was and, and it, it would show up in just the most bizarre ways we had housemates at, at one point when I was really struggling in child protection and they came in to the lounge room because they needed to talk to me about how I'd been putting things in the oven because I was not there I was just not there at all and there was a we have a red oven mitt that's made of plastic and they all came in and there because I was just doing things absentmindedly I was completely um overwhelmed you know 200% of the time and I was doing things like putting the plastic oven mitt in the oven when it was on which makes absolutely no sense <laughs> and they knew none of them were doing it um, so that's, that's kind of what I knew that wasn't working for me anymore um but it, it was really like it was a lesson around not fighting what you feel, not fighting mm. what comes natural to you. Like to me, teaching comes naturally. To me, talking um, on topics that I'm passionate about comes really naturally. Mm. I really love um, having conversations with people where we go into like deep levels of self-inquiry. And, you know, if my friends let me, I love to like poke around in their emotional lives and like work on my skills and my husband just turns around to me now and says stop social working me <laughs> boundaries um sometimes but it was really you know you have natural abilities mm. you have things that you know you as a particular individual are excelling at um and it just seems so ridiculous that we're in a society where we relegate that to hobbies or we relegate that to you know what you do outside or we relegate that to when I retire I can ABC mm -hmm. but in the technological age that we exist in now you, know, you can be anything every time I worry that what I do is not legitimate being a vulnerability coach um, my bad bitch workouts or wanting to do anything I remind myself there is a woman in Melbourne mm -hmm. who has her entire job is making marshmallows and sending them out to people who have signed up for a marshmallow subscription Anytime you feel illegitimate, you remind yourself there is someone who makes their entire salary and livelihood delivering homemade marshmallows. And if she can make a business, I can make a business. Because you know, if that's the successful business in the world, then literally anything could be yeah. a successful business. And so how has how has this um you know business experience been for you like um can you tell oh, us a little bit you know how has it been going for you this to this point and what were maybe the most difficult steps 
uh, most difficult steps is processing trauma and having a business at the same time or trying to do them simultaneously. Terrible idea, but can't change it now. Um, So (laughs) we we just soldier on. I, you know, it's really interesting. I actually tried to start this business a couple of years ago and I didn't manage to. So I always wonder if maybe that experience of trauma gave me a kind of like, if I can do this, I can do anything Mm -hmm. attitude. Um, But it's definitely been hard because it doesn't really, you know, matter what uh, I succeed externally, mm-hmm. how I succeed externally, because it's the personal growth that needs to stay on point. Because I, you know, I reflect and I'm like, oh, you know, I made a certain amount this month. That wasn't enough. Oh, I need to make more. But then if I, I still need to have enough uh, understanding of myself to go, yeah, but you know, reflect on where you were last year and you can't Mm -hmm. see this as a failure because, you know, you've grown so much and there's so much, so many people that you've impacted and people come to me after my workouts and talk to me or any of the events I run or the the speaking and they're so impacted Mm -hmm. and I need to allow for that to, it's really hard to sit with success at the moment. Mm. So... It's funny because you, you're so used to the hustle but then you get to a certain level that you could only have dreamed about and you're so focused on getting to the next level that mm. you still feel like a, unless you identify it and sit and can reflect, you will still feel like a failure. So it's been a really interesting last couple of months because you know I remember sending my mentor a message being like, how do you handle it when people tell you how great you are or – when you reach this level of success and when I, cause I'm so used to the striving, I'm not used to the being in it. I don't know what to do now. <laughs> that, <laughs> Enjoy the moment. Been, <laughs> yeah. That's been the biggest challenge I think was like getting to a certain level and, Oh, okay, I, I can, I'm allowed to sit here. Yeah. I'm allowed to be at this table. I'm allowed to be that person that, you know, anonymous people send me messages on Instagram all the time about the ways in which my story has helped them. Wow. And I'm like, you know, in my head, I'm so tempted to write back like, really? Be? Really? Yeah. But then I force myself to just say thank you and appreciate it and let it, just let it be. And, and it's I, like anything. Yeah. As women, we're told, you know, you know, it's conceited if you accept a compliment with, you know, anything other than, oh, no, 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 no. Oh, this old thing, blah, blah, blah. That's how it's go to. And to actually receive compliments or receive success or accept success and go, yeah, I deserve this is mm. not in our nature or not what we're trained yeah, that's, to do. It's, it's probably in our nature, but not what we were yeah, conditioned to. Conditioned. And I feel like, um, and I, I struggle with it myself also. Sometimes you, I, I do things and mm. then I forget to, you know, to celebrate and recently i've been waiting because you just move on to the next thing yeah i've been working with a coach and he's Mm. like did you celebrate it and i'm like no (laughs) (laughs) and and it's true you know we should yeah celebrate ourselves more and really you know Mm -hmm. take pride in when we have achieved something and make it clear Mm. to us or visible you know just look back the last month what did you do what did you accomplish and then you're like holy Mm. shit i did all those things you know and you know spoil yourself a little bit for that Mm. Mm. absolutely one of my um clients the one who told me you know is the discomfort more important than the Mm -hmm. change you can create is she's a real advocate for um being successful and Mm -hmm. being seen being successful Mm. and and again using using negative reactions as a filter if someone doesn't like it they're not the person for you if you try to sell something to someone and they say no you don't want that person to buy Mm. your product anyway yeah and um yeah just just owning it and you have it's it's a conscious thing i think people think that they're going to get to a level at which it feels normal Mm -hmm. and if you're waiting for that moment where it will suddenly click and it will feel fine then you'll be waiting forever it's a constant conversation with yourself and reminding yourself and telling yourself and reassuring yourself and having enough self-love that you can do that yeah yeah because it's in the end it's just like an, mm-hmm. an a, a reflection of you know the self-love that you have for yourself mm. 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 so 
Um, you know, from your experience working, you know, with other women as a coach, also you do a bad bitch workout, which I love the name mm. <laughs> and um, <laughs> interacting with them. You know, what do you see to be or also speaking? What do you see to be the biggest effect on women? You know, when they um, when they actually realize that being vulnerable is not their weakness, that it is actually their mm. biggest strength. Like what happens to them? Uh, it's like. Um, it's it's like a, an exercise in demonstrating giving yourself permission and I think because I never you never wanted to come from a place of someone externally gives you permission to mm -hmm. be yourself or to do this or to do this um, so I feel like the bad bitch workout in particular I, I give permission at the start for everyone to be their loudest craziest baddest self um, and to, it's so great. I just love when they're, they're like grunting, punching, kicking, making so much noise. I always joke, like, let's see if we can get a noise complaint or something because it's yeah. early and there's houses around and we're all yelling and screaming. Um, but it's like in that environment, it's like a snapshot of what it's like to have permission to mm -hmm. be your loudest, baddest, craziest self. And so I want women to have an experience of that And then when they leave, they've felt it. It's kind of, I like to imagine it's like a point of no return. Mm -hmm. Like once you, you have a little taste of it, you just think, I, how do I, how do I be in this all the time? Mm -hmm. How do I be in this all the time? How do I experience this sense of freedom all the time? Um, and I think that's my, my most favorite thing to look around that group of women and see them You know, you see at the start when everyone's a little bit nervous and they're holding back a little bit. You know, I watch some of my fitter clients, you know, they won't run as fast because they don't want to be seen to be showing off. Or, mm -hmm. um, you know, people try to act like they're not worried or anxious about what's coming next. But then by the end of it, it is just like, it's like they've forgotten that, that they should ever hold back. Mm. And I just think, I look around that situation and I'm just, I'm so happy because I think that's the most beautiful thing. And then I just think if we could expand that for all women, what kind of society would we be living mm -hmm. in? It would be incredible. Yeah, definitely. Mm. So if there would be uh, one message that is near and dear to your heart and that, would, that you would like any woman in the world to know, what would that be? Mm. I think that... There, there is always, there is always a reason to speak up about how you're feeling, what you're doing, what you're going through, what you've seen, what you've experienced, um, and that just because you've had a negative response doesn't mean you shouldn't try again. Mm -hmm. And I think, you know, so many of us go through something, try to reach out, get shut down, and that's it. Mm -hmm. but you know there's always a reason to go out there and be vulnerable mm -hmm. and you might have to do it 10 times you might have to do it 50 times you might have to do it 100 times but there is nothing more liberating than being 100% yourself and having someone understand and accept that and it's just about finding your people yeah. and they're out there I love that And one thing mm -hmm. I always like to close out is uh, I call it the three nuggets of wisdom. So um, mm. if tomorrow, you know, you would be gone, everything would be gone from your experience and whatever. But you could leave, you know, three pieces of wisdom of experience that you have, you know, uh, accumulated with your six-year-old self about life, about, mm. you know, what you want her to know. What would those three things be? Uh, summarize everything of all my experience into three things. Um, What do you I want think, your six-year-old self to know? Yeah, I think if I could, if I could truly convey the idea that as a woman, mm -hmm. as a female, strength is necessary but it is also beautiful would be the first thing. 
because I run, I ran from my strokes for so long, whether it was physical or whatever, and the ways in which I felt society told me being strong wasn't attractive. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that strength is beautiful. Um, that the second one would definitely have to be something around the idea that you can always trust yourself because you know, mm. um, you know the answers to everything for yourself at all times. Mm. It is just about being able to sit down and, and actually finally listen and mm-hmm. not let, you know, society's voice or, you know, your parents or your culture or your community influence that. Uh, and then that humans are, humans want to be good, mm. I think is really important because especially technological age, news 24-7, a lot of horrible things happening in the world Mm -hmm. but I think that humans are inherently good and humans want to be good and we need to always be giving people the benefit of the doubt to live up to their ultimate potential beautiful Mm -hmm. so how can people find you and how can they work with you well there is always a real easy, quick way to jump on and look at www.betcameron.com, which is my website. Mm-hmm. So I have everything that I am, everything that I do. I have my blogs mm-hmm. all in that space. I have my Instagram, which is where I probably have most of my conversations and um, put out a lot of my content. So that's the underscore Beck underscore Cameron underscore coach or just the Beck Cameron coach um and I I'm launching my own podcast so it's coming out quite soon it's called the no pants dance party because I think (laughs) that is just the most vulnerable way to have a dance party is to have no pants on so it's just vulnerable conversations and talking about all things female strength empowerment moving forward culturally very nice thank you so thank you so much girls go check out beck cameron and um you know get inspiration from her on how to become you know vulnerable in a very powerful way and um Mm. thank you so much for you know sharing your story so openly i mentioned it before i'm sure Mm. you know it will really impact many lives out there who are listening Mm. and um yeah thank you thank you so much for having me Thank you so much for tuning into the Thrive Podcast and spending your precious time with us. If you found this episode valuable and think that others could benefit from it too, please share it with your network, friends, and family. I would also be forever grateful if you could go over to iTunes and leave us an honest review about the show. And if you have a comment, question, or topic that you would like to see covered on the show, go to algamuller.com slash thrivepodcast. So see you next week, girl. And until then, don't forget that you were meant to thrive.